I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 31 says, What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable. Somebody say more valuable. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Amen? You may be seated. This is going to be our third and final sermon in the series that we've entitled, I'm Valuable. Somebody say, I'm valuable. Declare it to yourself like you really mean to say, I'm valuable. Now look at somebody else and let them know that they are valuable. Say, you are valuable. And, and, and the thing that we've been saying as we define value is something or someone that is of great worth, extremely useful or important. To be highly regarded, precious, prized. And that's kind of how we're going to see this looked at today, how precious and how prized we are when it comes to God. To be esteemed or distinguished. And I mentioned to you in past lessons that uh, the conversation between the art professor and the individual who asked, you know, in the world of art, how do you place value on a piece of work? And the professor told the young man, uh, first to determine, you need to determine who created the work. Well, we answered that for you because we know that God created us in his own image. And so therefore, we are his workmanship because he created us. And then the second part of that was, how do you assign value, he says. The other part is that someone who really know and understand art. It, determined, it is determined by that person and how much they are willing to pay for the piece. See, everybody ain't willing to pay the price for a piece of art, especially if they don't understand its value. But we are already satisfied that God paid the price for us with Jesus, amen? And so with those two things established, then we know now that in God's eyes, regardless of what man may see, but in God's eyes, we are valuable. And because he paid the price for us with Jesus, that ought to settle it in our heart when we look at ourselves in the mirror and how we see ourselves, we ought to see ourselves as being very precious and valuable to God. And we learned on last week from the three parables of, of the lost sheep, the lost corn, and the lost son, just how important people in general are to God. God is concerned about that lost person just like he's concerned about you. Your sitting in here makes you valuable, but that person out there sitting under the tree that don't know Jesus is just as valuable. And so therefore, we have to assign value to people the way God assigned value, not the way, the way we or our society or culture may find, define value. Amen. Because when we misidentify and misvalue people, then we will place other things above them that God never intended to be above them. Amen? Go to the book of Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be spending most of our time in Matthew's day. The first passage is pretty lengthy, but we're going to get through it. Matthew chapter 6, and when I start reading, I'll read 25 through 34. But knowing how valuable you are and how much God loves you, and care for you, ought to give you the assurance when it comes to your worldly needs that he can provide for you. And because you know that he's capable of meeting your basic needs, that ought to be some things that you don't even have to worry. And Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see that he's not telling them there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with 
thinking about your goals and steps that you're going to take to get there and trusting God for guidance. But planning should help you to alleviate worry, not cause you to worry. And worry comes when we are consumed about things that God says he's going to provide for us. And sometimes when you don't trust him for your basic needs, you could find yourself worrying about something that you shouldn't be worrying about. And it's a proven fact that too much worry is not good for you. You weren't created to worry about every little thing, every little situation that come up in this world. But if you buy into everything, then you could find yourself worrying and consumed by every little thing that you hear and forget who you belong to and what he has promised you. And so he, in this passage, he was finishing up his teaching, and this is all part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he was telling them about material possessions. He was talking about money and their stuff. And, and Jesus wasn't a hater of your stuff, but he just didn't want your stuff to become your God because he said that you can't love two. You can't love God and your stuff to the same degree. Because if you do, one of them going to come up. And so in this, it's obviously that his disciples may have been concerned about how needs going to be met. You know, we done left our job. Now we following you. And you teaching us this long sermon. So I, they may have had some concern about how their needs was going to be met. And then this is where he followed that conversation about money up with about worrying. And see, I know some people are consumed with money and it caused them to... It don't matter how much you get. When your time comes, you can't take it with you. As Christians, we, we all want paper in our lives. But we're not supposed to be chasing it and making it our priority. Because once you start chasing it, then you'll do anything to get it. And, and so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Jesus is a hater of your bank account, because he's not. But he just wants you to know that your bank account is not your God. Amen? So look at this. In verse 25, he says, that is why I tell you, do not worry. Somebody say, do not worry. Do not worry about everyday life. He's going to let us know what everyday life is. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Your life got to become more than just food, drinking, and clothes. You know, if you can't buy another thing out of a store, there's enough land out there on trees that can clothe you. You, that, that's enough out there. If, if, you, if you can't buy nothing, I know you got a sheet at home. And I know you can cut it up and wrap it around you. So, so you shouldn't be worrying about clothes. Most of us got more food than we're going to ever eat. And most of you, we've never missed a meal. I can't remember. Even when I was poor, I don't remember missing them. And so he's telling them, don't get consumed by that. And because he's outside, he used an illustration that they can relate to. He says, now, look at the birds. Teaching outside, you see birds, people fix in on that, so you got to use your sanctified imagination because now you got to see birds in your mind because I said birds, and there's no birds in here, but in your mind you can see. So he's saying, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? He said, now look, every morning when that robin get up, that robin is not worrying about whether or not he's going to eat. Because he knows that there's something out there already in place to take care of him. There's a worm out there with his name on it. He just got to be wise enough to leave his nest and go get it. 
And if he can't find a worm, he'll find one of your fruit trees. And you go out there and pick your apple and you see all these little holes in it? That means God was providing. You upset, but God was for. And so what he's saying now, you're more valuable to God than that bird. And that bird don't even worry. He says, now look, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? In other words, it don't matter how much you worry, your days are numbered. And worrying about those numbers ain't going to change nothing. And he said, now look, in fact, worrying could make those numbers come up quicker. Because there are some illnesses that is associated with too much worrying. He said, so since you can't change a moment in your life, a single moment, then why are you going to worry? Then he says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the, again, an illustration, the lilies in the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing. Yet Solomon, and everybody in this audience would have known who he was talking to when he referenced King Solomon, because King Solomon was one of the most opulent kings that ever lived. I mean, Solomon had wealth untold. He had so much wealth that when the Queen of Sheba came to see it, she was just amazed at how she saw so much gold and how much stuff she... I mean, the, the temple was laid out under Solomon. And Jesus take them back to somebody they could relate to. Now, you got to have your Solomon today. You know, you know somebody when you don't see them bling out, opulent out. You know, they got all the stuff on, and you know that that stuff that they got on costs a lot of money. And he's saying no matter how much the money costs and how much the stuff costs, when you look at Solomon and all his wealth, it is not as beautiful as these lilies. Now, see, in the natural mind, you know, but wait a minute. Diamonds are a girl's best friend, not lilies. Somebody told you that. Look at this. He says, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they, beautifully as they are. Then he started getting into some of the problems they may be having, and it may be in the area of their faith. He says, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into a fire tomorrow, in other words, that same flower, of, depending on what type flower it is or what type plant it is, could be food. It could be your bread. But if God is concerned about something that could be here today and gone tomorrow and then on your table by nightfall, surely he's concerned about you. He says he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little? You're going to have to assess where your faith is when it comes to God and his word. And if you don't do that, then you're going to find out because of your lack of faith, it's going to increase your word. Faith is the antidote to a lot of your word. Trusting that God can meet your needs is an antidote for a lot of your worry. The world is upset. Don't, don't get upset. The market going to do what the market going to do. Yes, you're losing some money, but you're still eating. And now some people can't sleep at night because they done seen their little 401k. And it's been sitting there for 30 years looking good, and now you're $20,000 lighter. And you're about to have a fit. And if your soul was required tonight, that 401k can't do nothing? Where is your faith? So he says, so don't worry about these things, saying what we will eat and what we will drink or what we will wear. Then he come back, he says, these things dominate the thoughts. Somebody say dominate. They dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So you got to ask yourself, what is dominating your thought life? 
Because whatever is dominating your thought life is going to determine in the long run how you act. Y'all better say amen. You better get a grip on your thought life. You better start assessing where do you spend most of your time in your head and what is running through your... Because if you don't do that, some of the things that will constantly run through your head will affect how you live. And then you got to know no matter what thought comes to my head, God has already given me the ability to take it captive. He didn't say the thought would come, would not come, but he said when it do come, if you would, you can take it captive and discard that thought. You don't have to let that thought stay in your head till it starts growing in your flesh and in your mind. Because if you let it grow, it will produce actions that you may not want to happen in your life. So what's dominating your thought? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have any thoughts because some thoughts can be good. They're going to motivate you to do the right thing. But there are some thoughts that cause you to cause you to worry. What's dominating your thought? Because your Heavenly Father already knows you got needs. But I don't think every Christian trusts him. I hear Christians talk about, well, you know, I got needs. And then they don't think that because they got needs, when it comes to their natural life, that God can help them meet those. So when we don't trust God to meet our needs, then we're going to come up with our own. Let me, let me read on. That wasn't the crux of what I want to hear here, but we get down to this. He says, now look, he gets priorities right. See, you're going to have to make the things of God a priority. Because if you don't, they're going to always be secondary to something else in your life. And that's why he tells them here, it says, seek the kingdom first. Some of your Bibles say, seek first the kingdom. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. That means God's priorities got to be above everything else in your life. And you got to believe if I focus on his priorities, he's going to take care of all these lesser priorities. These things will fall in place if I get right with, with God. He says, seek first, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Seek him, then live like he wants you to live. See, a lot of people seek him, but when he start telling them how to live, I'm grown. And I can do what I want to do. I want, I'm going, yeah, you are. You can do what you want to do. You can make any choice you want to make. So, but he says here now, but you got to make his choices your choices. And he got to become your priority because it's his desire that you live righteously. And he will give you everything. Seek him first. Live like he wants you to live. And then he said, I can meet your basic needs. You won't be hungry. You won't be walking around without clothes. You won't have, you're going to have something to drink. You're going to find something. Don't you know before we started having bottles of water made for us, folks could find water? Don't you know if you just dig long enough, you'll find? But we got the convenience of just turning a little tap or stick, whatever, and the water just And then some of us, if that water gets cut off, what am I going to do? Go get you a shovel. You may have to work, but sooner or later you're going to find. Now that's being a little extreme. I know y'all going to do that. Y'all going to call the water company. Y'all going to call everybody, the plumber, everybody. Some of this water coming back on. Because if it don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I just, uh, yeah, yeah. Man, look here. Water means a lot because we need it. But look here. The shower not working for a day ain't going to kill you. Believe it or not, you can go to bed two or three days and you'll be all right. I ain't telling you not to do that for hygiene purpose. I'm just saying that that ain't something you ought to be. Birds take baths in sand. 
Let me, let me move on. Y'all didn't like that right there. That was in my notes. I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> but in life, you got to learn to trust God. You got to make him your first priority. And when you make him your first priority, that don't lessen the other priorities in your life. That means that those priorities ought to become more important to you because God's going to tell you how to deal with those priorities. So I tell husband and wife this. Wife, if your husband loved the Lord and he said he loved God first, don't be upset or vice versa. Don't be upset. Just ask him to do what God would have him to do by you. Just follow, just follow God's instructions for me in your life. I'm going to trust God. And since you say that's who you're following, he's your priority, then you just do what he tell you to do for me. And I'll live happily ever after. Let me move on. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus was having a dialogue with the religious leaders. And during this dialogue, he makes it abundantly clear that people are more valuable Somebody say that animals. <laughs> in the day and time we live in, I ain't sure. Because some, some animals get better treatment. In God's eyes, people are preeminent because they were creating his image and given dominion over all other creation, including animals. But the religious leaders was there that day in the temple, and they was trying to trick Jesus to see whether or not he would do something illegal on the Sabbath, what we would call on Sunday. It'd be like, let me put the setting this way. We're in here having church on Sunday, and we say this is the day of the Lord's day of rest, and we're not supposed to do anything, even though many of y'all are going to go and shop when you leave here somewhere else. So, so we don't honor the Sabbath like that, because Sunday has just become another day in our culture. It is not like it used to be, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago when everything used to be closed on. Yeah, if you didn't, get, if you didn't go to the commissary on Saturday, you couldn't wake up and say, I'm going to just run by the commissary on the way home. No, it's going to be. And if you didn't go and get that beautiful whatever you wanted from the mall, you weren't going to find it today. Because Sunday used to be a day of priority. Now it no longer has that value because we got all type of things that happen on Sunday. So we have to, God has to fight for this hour and a half and two hours in some cases. Had to fight for that. We don't just freely give it to him. We have to. And so these guys were trying to trick Jesus. He was saying, now it's the Sabbath and that's God's day of rest. So therefore, is it lawful to do work? In this case, to heal on the Sabbath. Because they saw anything that you did down that line, even when it comes to healing someone that wasn't dying immediately. It would be like, hey, you can go get your appointment for tomorrow. Go to urgent care tomorrow morning. You're you going to live today, Sister Jesse. You know, that finger that's hurting right now, it'll be all right tomorrow. I can't heal you today. Don't, don't go anywhere. You just. Today. So you're that object. That, and, and Jesus saying, look here. I think. Sister Jesse needs to be healed right now. They're saying she ought to wait till tomorrow. And so in this exchange, Jesus kind of, you know, used some argument, an argument here to kind of let them prove his point. And so what we see here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, he says, then Jesus went over to their synagogue. So y'all say he went to our church. So Jesus showed up and striving today. And, and while he was there, he noticed, somebody say he noticed. He noticed. You know, he noticed a man with a deformed hand. In other words, he noticed somebody that was sick. Somebody that had something going on. See, what you got to do is when you come to church on Sunday, you need to start noticing. See, y'all come to church and don't think about nobody but you and what you're going to do. And Jesus said, sometimes there's some people right in your midst that are hurting. But you don't even 
Because your emphasis and your focus is on how your dress and your shoes look, or how, you know, what you look like today. And so, therefore, most people will come up and compliment for what you're wearing, but they will care less about how you feel on your inside. In order to do that, Jesus said, look here, you got to notice some things when you come into church. Don't think that everybody that walked in here got it together. There's some people that are sitting in here just as perplexed as you don't know what. But they're sitting in here because they need to hear something or someone needs to say something to them to let them know that they are still valuable to the Lord. So you can't come to church and just, just come in and focus on you. You got to take we know this folk that we want to talk about. <laughs> but we don't notice people that are hurting in our midst. We don't take the time to look at them in the face and look in their eyes and see, that, hey, something ain't right about this person. And so Jesus was at church, so Jesus said, hey, I'm here, and while I'm here, I might as well take He noticed a man with a deformed hand. And then look at this. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law, mm, I call this a disingenuous question, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? A question with ulterior motives. And Jesus didn't have no problem with people asking him questions with ulterior motives. I don't have a problem with me. People ask me questions. You don't, shouldn't have any problem with anybody asking you questions, regardless of what their motivation is. Because if you know the truth, it don't make no difference what that question is and what motivation it comes from. But you got to understand that don't let a question intimidate you. See, they was asking that question, but their motive was that they were hoping that they could say, he would say yes so they could bring charges against Jesus. They wanted Jesus to come to church and catch a charge. You know, he came to church to do something good, but these guys trying to set him up so he can do something bad. Man, nobody should walk in church and catch a charge. I mean, they come to church to get their soul delivered and get, their, get set free from something, and then we charge them. And sometimes you can charge people by the things you don't do. Again, not taking. So they were looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. Now, Jesus was not afraid of the question, so he came back with a hypothetical question of his own. You know, ain't nothing wrong with asking a question or answering a question with a question. Amen, because that'll help you discern what the people really ask you and where their heart is. So look at it. He said, now look, and he answered, if you, talking to them, if you, making it personal to them so they couldn't get around this answer, if you had a sheep that fell in a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? And before they could answer, he said, of course. <laughs> now, why would he say that? Because he knew that that sheep that fell in the well that belonged to you was valuable to you. That wasn't just a sheep. That was wool. And that wool could bring a return, but it ain't going to do me no good. That sheep that's in the well had the potential to produce other sheep. And then when I get tired of him producing or her producing, then that can be my dinner. That's a lamb chop down there. You, you, you think it's just a sheep down there, but I know you see more than a sheep, so you're going to go down there and And the sad thing is, you're going to place more emphasis and more value on a sheep that was not created in God's image, 
than you would a person who created in the image and likeness of Nothing wrong with you and Fido. I want you to love Fido. But man, you got to love people too. Ain't nothing wrong with it. You got Fifi the cat? I'm all for Fifi. Feed her the best food that you can feed her. But man, if you get an opportunity to feed somebody that's hungry and homeless, Fifi eating $20 cat food. And you can't even go and get a Happy Meal. For a person that is... See, long when I was talking about sheep, y'all was OG just talking to them. Now I'm talking to you now. What are you placing above people? So Jesus answered the question for him. He says, of course you would. Then he comes back and says, and how much more, the how much more argument, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? If you're going to go down the hole to get that sheep, you shouldn't have no problem with me healing this, this man. And then he had just told them earlier that he was the, the Lord of the Sabbath. Which means that if I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, then I can even change the law on the Sabbath. He says this, he says, yes, the law permits a person to do good. Somebody say to do good. Yes. To do good on the Sabbath. And see what you got to see out of there, that all, it's always the right time to do good. Amen. Today is Sunday, and I know we got other things going, but look here, when you leave here, it's a good time to do something good. Amen. And so what we got to see is that God never tried to restrict us from doing anything good because if we won't do good, that means there's a potential for us to do evil. And not doing good is to go against his will. So therefore, when we know to do good and don't do it, then to us that can become To do good on Sunday is a good thing. Now, I don't know if you got what's going on in different places, but if you're going to go shop on Sunday, do good. Buy somebody else a gift. Can I get an amen right there? Because you got enough in your pocket that you can't wait till Monday. You got enough to do some good. And I ain't talking about the y'all who go to the big box store because some of y'all going to go home and get on the computer. And, and Amazon your way to heaven. <laughs> oh, it's so convenient. It's easy. Da -da -da. Well, send somebody else something. You can do good today. And if you do good, God is going to bless you for doing good because you see value in other people. God, Jesus making it clear, just like it was made clear to us in the earlier book, lessons, that people are more valuable to God than animals, than material things. And sometimes we place more value on the material things that we can see. That's why people say certain lives don't matter. Because if I don't place any value on you, then I don't see killing you as a problem. In our last turn, Matthew chapter 10. We're going to go back there. Matthew chapter 10. 
And we're going to close by taking a closer look at a passage that I have been reading to your hearing. Matthew chapter 10. And see, in order to get the context of what Jesus was trying to say in this passage, you got to understand, he had called the 12 disciples together. He empowered them, and he had told them, I'm about to send you out. And I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. You're going to find yourself suffering sometimes. You're going to find yourself persecuted sometimes. You may even find yourself getting killed all because of what you believe. You may find yourself standing before governors and kings. But in those times, don't you worry. Because whatever you need to say to them, my spirit is going to provide it for you. See, that's why it's so important for us to have God's spirit on the inside of us. Because when you got the spirit of God on the inside of you, he can give you what to say when you need to say it. But if you don't have that, then now you're standing before somebody that's outranked you in some way, then now you are worrying about, what am I going to say? What am I gonna, look, look, just close your eyes and say, now, Lord, you said, when I stand before these folk like this, you're going to give me something to say. And so, God, whatever you give me to say, I'm going to say it and believe that it's going to have the power that you want it to have. We got to learn how to trust God to give us some things on the spot. We, we always want him to just plan everything out, but we got a God that can give you some things on the And so sometimes when you need a thought on the spot to say something to someone that is of value, then God can give you what you need to say on the So I saw this as Jesus trying to encourage his God so that when you do get arrested and you find yourself in those bad situations, don't start to worrying about it to the point that you know you don't think God is with you any longer. So he was letting them know that wherever you find yourself, be it in a life, situ a life situation or a death situation, you got to believe that you're so valuable to God that he ain't going to leave you there by yourself. And so this is why in verse 27 of chapter 10, I'll start reading now. He says this, what I tell you now in the darkness. Shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper to you in your ear, shout from the housetop for all to hear. In other words, he was telling his disciples, the things I have been teaching you privately. So what I want you to see today is a private teaching session. And the things that you'll learn in here in private is not meant to stay in in private. They are meant for you to walk out of here and shout them and declare them. If you can't declare anything else, you ought to be able to tell somebody just how valuable they are to God. And if nothing else, you ought to say, guess what? You are more valuable than a dog. So why are you living like a dog when you are more valuable to God than a dog? You don't have to remember the whole Bible. He just said, look, I'm saying some things in the darkness in the privacy, and now when you learn these things, I'm not telling you to for just for you. I think we come to church on Sunday and think that the word is just for us, and as long as I got my full, and I'm, oh, I ate good today. I like the diet. I'm getting to church. That word was rich. That word was powerful. Yeah, but what you gonna do with it? It's rich and powerful for you to take it on the inside, and then when you walk on the outside, find somebody and let them know just how valuable. Your friend who's sleeping around, giving her body or his body up every day, you need to say, you are too. Why are you less than your value? I know you don't want to go there, but why are you less than your value? Man, in the world, we had some crazy sayings about cows and stuff like that when it compared to women. Let us know how we valued them. If I can get the milk free, why buy the cow?
So he said, when you start telling the truth and things like that, people are going to come against you. I guarantee you call one of your friends and say, look here, you need to stop him from getting free milk. Then now you've been unfriended. I'm going to make a meme out you. I tell him, trying to get in my business, telling me how to live my life. I'm just trying to tell you, stop giving up the milk. And brothers, you need to be told the same thing. Tell your friends, don't come bragging to me about your conquest. I don't want to hear because all you've done is devalued yourself and her. So the things that you hear here in private, Jesus said you're about to go on the rooftop and let somebody know. So on your Instagram account, on your Twitter account, on your Facebook account, let somebody know. Girl, stop giving up them. See how many friends you get, how many likes you get on that. Y'all out there putting stuff out there that everybody going to like, and you ain't saving nobody life. Oh, let me go on, let me go on. So the things you learn in private, you're supposed to go on the rooftop and let everybody hear about it. Now, you may not have to go there, but there's, there's something, my spirit is letting me know, there's something that is being said today that you can go talk about. Whatever it is. And I'm talking about talking about it to the degree that you're going to try to get someone to see God's point of view when it comes to their life and how valuable they are to God. But you can't do that if you got the wrong value on you. Then he tell them, like Pastor Bolton is telling y'all today, don't be afraid. All that stuff I told you could possibly happen to you, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now look here. This body is going to die one day regardless. What you do, you treat it good, bad, or indifferent, it's gone. So that part of you, you, can't, ain't, you ain't going to be able to control. It's going to die. But the part of you that's going to go back to God that's the part that you need to be living for. Because, look, most of the time we place more emphasis on the body, the physical part of man, and not the spiritual part of man. And it's the spiritual part of man that God is concerned about. Some people say we're a tripart or bipart being. I do know we got spirit and a body, but some places the Bible talk about spirit, soul, and Adam was a spirit first. He became a body when God made a mound of dirt, and then God breathed the breath of life into him. And so therefore, we got a mind, a will, and imagination. I can call that our emotional state, and I can say, okay, that's your soul. But some Bibles, you feel soul and spirit is used synonymous the same way. The same word, psyche, can be used for both of them. So Jesus said, look here, take the emphasis off of the person who can just only kill one part of you. They can't do nothing to your because when this flesh die, the soul got to go some. But we don't understand that, that we're spirit beings, and so therefore we put more emphasis on the outer man, on the flesh, and we're more concerned about that than we are about what's going to happen to us after we take our last. So he said, now don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. And, and most of your friends ain't going to kill you when you tell them they need to stop having sex and they marry. They ain't going to kill you. They may kill you verbally. They may put your name out there and say all kind of crazy stuff on their page and stuff like that. They ain't going to kill you. You know who you are. You know how valuable you are to God. 
That ain't going to change who you are and all of a sudden now because they don't put you on blast. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it today. I mean, you better get a grip. You make it before they became your friend. The same God that you serve today, he's going to be with you when your friend turn their back on you. So he said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. For fear only God who can destroy both soul and body. I ain't going to even stop and talk about hell right now because today's world, hell is a bad word. You can't even say hell no more. Young people, they'll fight you up and down. Ain't no, I okay, I, the Bible says hell. I'm gonna just read it and keep going because I ain't got time to argue with some of y'all right now. In your mind, was like, well, where is hell? Is it this, that, that? All I know is the Bible says it ain't a good place that you want to end up. Now, whether it's real or not, I ain't taking my chances. Now, you want to take a chance, we find out later. If you're right, then so be it. But if you're wrong, I feel sorry for you because I ain't gonna be able to give you no water. When I look down there, they should have listened to me. You know what it is in the Bible. Rich man, Lazarus, yeah. Then he says this. He break it down now to the sparrow. You know, this passage of scripture was the inspiration behind his eye. You know, I done heard that song at hundreds of funerals. Powerful. And if it's sung right, just turn the funeral out. All because of these words here, someone was inspired to write his eye is on the sparrow. And I know if God take enough time to look out for a little bitty, surely he can watch over. Boy, if I could sing right now, boy, I would show enough work with that for a minute. But, but since I can't sing, Robin, I'm going to just leave it alone. You know what I mean? But, but if I could sing right now, you know, I sing because I'm, I sing because I'm, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but his eye is on us. And I know he's looking out for, y'all better hear me today. So this is what he says, and this is where that inspiration comes from, verse 29, I'm done. He says, what is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? And I equate that to back in the day, some of y'all too young, but when we was in the hood, you know, you got a deal, you got two for a penny butter cookies. You ain't need but one penny, and you can go get your two cookies. Now I'm pretty sure the cookies cost a nickel, but back then, one penny butter cookies. You know you were poor when all you could afford was butter cookies. You know, you get, you get a nickel say, man, go run to the store, get me a nickel worth of butter cookie. I'm going to get a tea cookie. Couldn't get no Oreo, never no cream, man. <laughs> but, but that's, so he said, look here, that sparrow is the cheapest bird in the market. When people go there to buy a sparrow, they don't need but one penny, and they can get two of them. Sparrow, I guess, like going to buy, buy in the sausage and part of me. You know, he just go in. Cheap. So he's saying, now look, the sparrow, the cheapest animal in the market that you can get for a cup of corn. But look, he said, not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing about it. So even when a sparrow fly his last flight and fall out the air and die, God already knew about it. And he's saying that if God knew that that sparrow was going to fall, surely he know when you're going to fall. He know when your time coming. So don't you worry about that. God got you. He got your back. He know when that time. He know when that time is coming. Because his eyes on that sparrow, and just like he's watching him, he's watching over. So go out and do what I've called you to do. Go out and Talk from the rooftop and don't worry about what's going to happen because God got you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So he said, if a sparrow can't fall to the ground thinly without him knowing about it, he said, look here, all that hair you got on your head and in your face. <laughs> the Bible don't say God counted them. 
Say he. He numbered them. He assigned the number, and they started growing. Me and you, we got to count them and take for years try to figure out how many. But God already, what he's trying to get us to see is how intimate our relationship is with God. If God would take that time for a sparrow, and he know just how many hairs you got on your head. See, today we think we can fool God by adding stuff. He knows. He knows. I've been the hands you got here. Brother JP, you can shave my all off. When you in the hair business, you don't know. You cut hairs every day. And you ain't got a clue how many hairs on somebody's head. Now I ain't putting that to Durant. I go to Wayne. He cut these little I got. So I'm not saying that this is in that way. But I'm saying, if I, if I was to ask Wayne, Wayne, how many hairs on my head? Wait a pastor. Man, I ain't got a clue. So that means that even though me and Wayne are good friends, he don't care about me like God. Because if he did, he would want to know some things about it. Me. That's only God. Man, I thought that was powerful when he said that, man, a sparrow can't even fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Then he clothed it with this. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now he come back to make my point. Send them out, so don't be afraid. You got to go out, you got an assignment, you got to go tell the people on the rooftop, don't be afraid. If you fall off that roof, God got you. Your body's going to go back where it's supposed to go. But before it get cold, I'm going to take care of your soul. I, I know that one. <laughs> I know that one. See, you, you got to feel that in your spirit. Your flesh ain't going to feel what I just said. You, you got to get that in your spirit because your flesh is going to say, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Um. But that's how serious people are to God that he want us to do our part in getting the word out. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So we got to let people not know this, if nothing else. Just let them know how valuable they are. And if you're outside with them, just look around and look up in the tree or look up there. So you see that bird up there? God got him. And just like he got that bird, he got you. You know, I'm going to give you this little illustration that made this clear to me. Back in the back, we were doing some digging back there, and one day they dug up some stuff, and the grass was still high. And you know what? A hawk was sitting up in that tree. And God gave that dude such good vision that he could see stuff that I couldn't see that one but 10 feet in front of me. That dude swooped down in all that grass, and I'm just looking at it and saying, man, I wonder how we're going to clear this water out of here. And I'm looking at all that. That dude looked past the water and looked down there and see something that he needed that God done provided. That dude hit that water and stood there, and I said, what is he doing? He just standing there looking around like ain't nothing going on. Just looking around, just like ain't nothing going on, but his little feet's moving, his little talons, or what you call them, talons, or that's what they call them? Just moving. I said, move, just moving. Just moving. And about a minute later, that dude took off, and he had a snake. In his talent. I didn't need to eat that snake. <laughs> but that hawk did. And when it was time for him to eat, God. So the next time you think that God can't provide for you, just remember if he will provide for him, he can take care of 
Get a Lord a handcuff praise. I'm done. Get a Lord a handcuff praise. Hallelujah. 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 Every head bowed and every eye closed. I have several appeals that I want to make today, if you're online or even in the house. We always want to make sure that your soul is secure. That's why we make an appeal for salvation. Because Jesus came to die for everybody. Whether you're good or bad or indifferent, Jesus came to die for everybody. And so therefore we have to ask, do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? If you don't, that's a choice that you can make right now. And so if you're in the house right now, you never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you never given your life to him, never been baptized, never identified with him in that capacity. Whether you're in the house or online, I just ask that you would raise your hand in the house. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be embarrassed. If you're online, you can just give us a call here at the church, 862-3899, area code 850. Or you can send us a message and make it known, and we will get back in touch with you, however you feel led to do so. So if you're in, your, in the house, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Then I take it that all have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Then my second appeal, if you're here and you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in other tongues, again, this has nothing to do with your salvation. This is a gift from God. Just want to share some scripture with you from the word of God. And if it sells in your spirit, we too believe that God will not withhold anything from you. We have ministers that will uh, minister to you in this area of your life. And if that's something you just want to know about, if you just want to get the literature so you can read it for yourself and see what the words say and see how it speaks to your heart, please raise your hand at this time. Please raise your hand at this time. Please raise your hand. If you're here and you're looking for a church home, and the Spirit of God, whether you're online or here, and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and saying, yes, striving for perfection is the place for you, I want you to please raise your hand and just send us a message to let us know. If you want to come to a ministry where you're going to be challenged to, to grow and to be taught what the Word of God says, then this is the place for you. And so if your spirit agrees with that, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. See no hands. Then my final appeal is for prayer time. And we're going to take a moment today. If you want to feel led to come to the altar and you want to stand or kneel and pray for yourself, you can do so. And then we'll have a general prayer. But if the Lord is speaking to your heart and telling you to come forth and you want to intercede for someone, you want to pray for yourself, just trust God that he can meet your needs. So if that is your desire, please come. If you've got a concern and you just want to stand at your seat, you can do that also. I said you just please stand at this time. Just please stand. Please stand. Please stand. Like we said, God already knows. You ain't standing to reveal nothing to God. He already knows. You know where we learn how to do that sometime in our lives, we can cast some of those things that cause us to worry. Because in most cases, worrying about whatever it is that got you perplexed is not going to change that situation. It's only when you listen to God and the Spirit of God and allow Him to give you direction and instruction on what you need to do. But prayer is our way of communicating with our Heavenly Father to enhance that intimacy that he desired to have with all of us, to speak to us collectively and individually. God knows you, but the question is, do you know him in an intimate way? To the same degree that he knows you. So I just pray that God will move on your heart right now and that you will open your spirits up to him, your soul up to him, because that's the part of you that he want to make sure that you keep right. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Merciful God, our Father, we come now.
We come to you because we know that you're a holy God, you're a righteous God, and you're a loving God, and your mercies are new every day. And so, God, we come with our various cares, our various concerns, our various needs, and even, God, we may be coming with our praises that we just want to lift up to you and thank you for what you've done. God, we may want to also be standing here to intercede for someone that we know that's going through a challenge, a trial, or a struggle in their lives. And God, you've given us the ability to intercede on their behalf because we believe that you will incline your ear down and hear our cries, hear our pleas, God, because you're a faithful God. God, I thank you for counting us worthy to be able to come boldly before your throne. I thank you for sending Jesus to die for us just to show us how valuable we are to you. And God, I just pray now that if nothing else leads your people, once their concerns are met, their needs are met, once you've answered their prayer, that God, that they will just go to the rooftop. Leave this private setting, God, and go and let somebody know just how valuable they are to you. God, they didn't come here for these last three weeks just to hear this for themselves. They should already know because they have been taught how valuable they are. Now it's their turn to go out and share that with someone who don't know someone who's living below their privilege all because they don't see the value in their lives. God, we have been empowered to do that right now, God. So I just pray that your spirit will rise up in each and every person on the sound of my voice, God. Give them a boldness, God, that they can leave this place and not be afraid, knowing that you are with them wherever they go. And God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do, because I know you're well able. We're not asking you for something that you're unable to do but we give you praise, honor, and glory in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. amen. Say amen again. Give the